0: Kawaja. Hello, hope you're doing well and are all set for the big festive weekend. It's Wednesday the 23rd of December. Thanks for downloading today's podcast. Coming up, there's a warning about travel disruption as drivers start their Christmas getaway and a man who contracted TB while sleeping rough is hoping his story will change the way homeless people are treated. But first... A man in his 50s has died following a crash on the M20. He was driving an Audi which collided with two other vehicles on the London-bound stretch yesterday evening. It meant the motorway had to be shut for more than 14 hours. well crash investigators have given us a statement, Lucy's been reading it.
1: At 5.57pm on Thursday 22nd of December, a white Volvo lorry, a blue Peugeot and a grey Audi were involved in a collision at junction 4 of the London-bound M20 Near New Hythe, officers attended along with Southeast Coast Ambulance Service, and a man in his 50s was pronounced dead at the scene. Kent Police's Serious Collision Investigation Unit are carrying out inquiries. Anyone who saw what happened or has dashcam footage of the moments leading up to the collision should call or email.
0: Thanks for those details, Lucy. Kent Online reports. Our what other top stories today? A man's been charged with murder following a stabbing in Sittingbourne. Police were called. to to a property off College Road in the early hours of Wednesday and 40-year-old David Perry was pronounced dead at the scene. An 18-year-old was arrested and at the time of recording was due in court today. Police say four asylum seekers who died in the channel were in a dinghy which was wholly unsuitable to make the crossing from France to Kent. An inquest heard two were from Afghanistan and the others from Senegal, but their identities are still unknown. Their provisional cause of death has been given as drowning. Thirty others were rescued when the small boat capsized in the freezing waters off Dungeness last Wednesday. The inquest has been suspended due to the ongoing criminal investigation. A 19-year-old man is due in court next month accused of piloting the boat. Two men have been arrested after armed police were called to Chatham. There were reports of a person with what appeared to be a firearm on Ingle Road yesterday. Officers sealed off the area and want to speak to the driver of a dark-coloured vehicle which was nearby at the time. Kent Online reports. Now it's been confirmed nurses in Kent and Medway will be part of national strikes for the first time in the new year. The Royal College of Nursing says there will be new walkouts at hospitals across much of England on the 18th and 19th of January. It follows two days days of action this month overpay. Liz is a former nurse at East Kent Hospitals Trust.
2: The staffing level has been a major issue for years. Chronic underfunding, chronic lack of representation as nursing is a credible profession. We do way more than anybody else in the community, in the hospitals, in the hospices. It's the nurses that do all the work and I mean all the nurses, the care assistants, the associate practitioners, um, the students, the return to work nurses, the foreign nurses. We are the glue and the oil that keep the wards running. And I don't think anybody actually recognises just what a toll that is emotionally, professionally, especially when you are constantly badgered to make bad decisions that aren't in your patient's best interest or the world's best interest. They keep going about it the wrong way. They talk about recruitment and retention, but frequently the focus is on recruitment. But that's backwards because if you solve retention, you don't have a recruitment problem. And the only way you can have retention is to look after your staff. So all the time that we are short-staffed, we are not being looked after. It's an obligation by the Trust under health and safety. And they're meant to protect us at work. And it's a duty that fails everywhere. And it's the same with the ambulance crews, it's the same with the physios, it's the same with the doctors, it's the same with the dentists. There are more vacancies than people applying. And that's a bad equation. The government need to solve
0: it. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak says his hands are tied when it comes to salaries.
2: I'm really sad and I'm disappointed about the disruption that is being caused to so many people's lives particularly at Christmas time. When it comes to, you know, the difficult question of setting public sector pay, the government has acted fairly and reasonably in accepting all the recommendations of the public sector pay review bodies.
0: Meanwhile, a planned strike by ambulance workers between Christmas and New Year has been called off with the GMB union declaring it's received amazing public support, but it's scheduling another one for January 11th. Paramedics and call handlers from CCAM, which covers Kent, will be involved. Staying with health news, and bosses at Medway Maritime Hospital in Gillingham have stood down a critical incident that was declared yesterday, but warned they remain under considerable pressure. A number of non-urgent services and outpatient operations were rescheduled to free up staff to meet extremely high levels of occupancy. The trust says it's expecting to face further challenges in the near future, suggesting more measures may need to be implemented over the Christmas period. A Medway mum whose son caught strep A says it's taken her almost a week to get hold of antibiotics. Sarah Zara's seven-year-old boy was diagnosed last Wednesday and her younger children have also had scarlet fever symptoms. She looked for medication in more than 25 pharmacies across Medway, Dartford and parts of London before finally finding some. The government insists that there's there's no national shortage. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with car dealerships in Canterbury and Maidstone. It's feared lorry drivers heading back to the continent for Christmas could cause disruption on Kent's roads over the next couple of days. Operation Brock's in force on the M20 to try and limit delays. The AAs issued an amber traffic warning as millions of people are also expected to be travelling to see friends and family. Toby Howe is from the Kent Resilience Forum, which plans for
3: events like this. The purpose for Operation Brock really is to be able to use, in effect, as a pressure valve for freight heading to the ports if there are any delays down there so for example last Saturday morning there were delays at the port of Dover TAP which is the control on the A20 between Folkestone and Dover was put on and to stop that filling up and causing problems in Folkestone um, Brock can be used then to hold that freight further back because as soon as TAP fills up uh, national highways have to close the Roundhill tunnel, folks, and then becomes gridlocked, Dover gets affected as well. So Brock is all that the Kent Resilience Forum have available to us to enable us to hold freight back so that it doesn't cause any congestion further down the line.
1: And the idea then is that because you've got that contraflow, any other traffic heading to the port and to the Eurotunnel can still keep moving, is it, that right?
3: Exactly, yes. So the motorway can still function in two directions for all other traffic in the contraflow.
1: Does it tend to matter what sort of day Christmas right. falls on? Do you see that because it's on a Sunday it this year, it, it changes people's plans at all?
3: Not not really. You'll always have that rush sort of whenever Christmas does occur. So in particular, you get an increase of freight travelling back. So a lot of the European freight companies all want to get back home for Christmas. So there are more freight um, HGVs heading back to Europe this week as well.
1: I'm sure you're very pleased to have seen the snow melt away. Um, The the weather now over Christmas is looking pretty mild. But is it worth keeping an eye on the forecast as well if you're heading out?
3: It is indeed, because I think um, we've got some heavy rain due and there might even be some more wintry showers sort of immediately after Christmas. So again, keep an eye on that. If the winds pick up from certain directions, it can affect the ferries.
1: We've spoken about the M20 and how that's set up to try and alleviate any potential delays. Are there any other potential hotspots in the county that you think drivers need to look out for?
3: Not really. I mean, luckily at this time of year, um, both National Highways and KCC Highways, Tend to put an embargo on certain routes to make sure that traffic can flow. The only sort of pinch point that is still there really is the top of the A249 Detling Hill meeting Junction 5 of the M2. There are still works ongoing there, so there are still some delays there. But overall, the M2 is flowing towards the port, the M20 is flowing, so all the three routes are working and the A2070 in Ashford has being cleared of the roadworks as well so there's two-way traffic running both of those so generally there shouldn't be any issues on any of the other routes.
0: I'll well, keep listening to our sister station KMFM for updates on any disruption and you can also follow our live travel blog at Kent Online. It's claimed elderly residents have been left trapped in a care facility in Chatham because the lift is broken. It's been out of order for about three weeks, meaning people living on the third floor at Rogala Place with mobility issues and dementia are struggling to leave the building. Southern Housing, who manages the building, have apologised and say repair works have been delayed because of a national supply issue with replacement parts. Now a man who almost died after contracting t b while living on the streets in Canterbury is going to feature in a new three part documentary. Nick Chamberlain kept going to a and e because he was feeling so unwell but struggled to get treatment
4: I had started to feel unwell and um I'd been actually going up to q e q m to the um a and e uh, you know and i I'd, I'd get to triage and i was i was that unwell I was actually falling asleep in the in the waiting area, yeah. And uh, there I am with a rucksack, and I like, unshaven, obviously homeless, uh, and I'm, I'm declaring myself as homeless, you know, um, when I when I turned up. And in in you know the the jaded world that we live in, and the the overstressed, overworked, and underfunded NHS, all they're seeing is a guy looking for somewhere to keep in the in the waiting room for a little while, keep warm, and perhaps get a bed and like you know something to eat and whatever. So I kept getting. Turfed out, yeah. And I was I was turning up every day, you know, trying to get past triage. But obviously, I, I'm I'm really giving the wrong signals, you know. Uh, but I, I was going downhill fast. I, I really was. And uh, you know, I mean, in the end, I I just I'll be honest. I just I wanted to. I just I felt so tired. I was exhausted by it and exhausted by it. You know, I. I was on the verge of giving up, to be honest. And if it weren't for Joe insisting that, like, that, you know, I see the um, uh, the, the paramedics. Yeah. And that's when they, they picked up on the, the sepsis. Yeah, it was the sepsis that was picked up on first of all and then got me into the hospital. And then they found that I had the TB. You
1: ended up being the subject of this court order, which must have sounded horrible at the time. But as Joe said, it kind of did save your life because... You then had that support back in place again. I mean, looking back, are you quite pleased that that happened eventually?
4: Looking back, yeah. I mean, as you say, at the time, I did feel very hard done by. I felt, you know, wrong to a degree. But um, it it, it did. It enabled uh, people to actually talk to each other, who up to that point, because of like, you know, data protection and because of patient confidentiality and all these sort of things. They couldn't actually discuss me, even if it was, you know, two health professionals talking about treatment. They couldn't talk to each other if they were from different departments. Now, that can hold up a person's treatment by you know, days or weeks, yeah. which can be, you know, it's, it's, it, you know every day is important. Um, but not just that. I mean, suddenly it wasn't just my uh, physical health that was being taken into consideration. It was also my environment. Like, you know, when I come out, what is you know what what we're going to where are we going to put him, and what's this going to do to his recovery and to his uh potential like for uh, continuation, uh, you know, with treatments and all that. So everyone would started talking
1: because I think sometimes Nick with homelessness, perhaps we hear the statistics, but as you say, you're not a number, you're a person, and you need that yeah. that support. Were you trying to? to get off the streets when you did become poorly first time around?
4: Again, I'd, I'd, I'd moved about and in different areas, there's different sort of help available. Yeah. And I'd, I'd engage with, like you know, in different places. And, um, and, and again, it's like everything, that everything's just so overstretched that um, being a single man with no dependents, I was always very much a bottom of the heap. Like, yeah, there's always people more, needy or you know their need is greater than mine and i understood that and there's it's limited resources limited people and whatever you so yeah i always seem to like be at the bottom of the you know the back of the queue
0: It was being filmed by joe spence who was doing a phd at the university of kent so the documentary
5: from the cubby derives its name from a former homeless encampment that existed in canterbury in 2016 and 2017 and that's where i met nick who at that time was a research participant, but is now with us today as co-director co-director of the series. The cubby was just the doorway of a derelict building on Story Road in Canterbury. When From the Cubby first started, it was intended originally as what was supposed to be just a 10-minute video. And I spent maybe, maybe seven or eight evenings with Martin and Nick collecting documentary film footage for that, that anticipated 10-minute project. What I didn't know at the time was that I was actually um, filming people who were exhibiting um, the symptoms of what later turned out to be TB. So I didn't know that what I was actually capturing on camera was the transmission of tuberculosis.
1: And how did that make you feel once you realised what was going on?
5: In Nick's case, Nick was taken to um, Margate QEQM Hospital um, in the February of 2018 a few days he was initially um taken um because they'd identified sepsis but after a few days in the hospital they identified that nick also had an active strain of microbacterium africanum which is a strain of tuberculosis and, resp- and a one that's actually sensitive and responsive to the the primary antibiotics so it's treated what nick had was treatable but of course nick at that point has got to run the gauntlet of emergency accommodation so nick was um forcibly detained for six months under what's called a part 2a court order that falls under the 1984 control of diseases act Um, and in in a strange way that that part 2a order was the best thing that could have happened to nick we were faced with this very very rare um, situation where all the different services from housing services to mental health services to substance misuse services um all had to meet in a courtroom every every month to deliberate uh, as to what they were going to do with this Nick, who was who for, who, the, who for them was a very very complicated patient. Um, in a strange way, uh, it, it the the courtroom and the activities around it fustered a situation where all these different agencies that often find it difficult to communicate. Um, we're deliberating as to the specific needs of of, of Nick's care. Um, that gave Nick an actual first real opportunity, in my view, he'd had to um, to just. to to address addiction and start start moving forward and start rebuilding.
0: He covered Nick's story for five years and helped him get life-saving treatment. Nick is now in a council house and is hoping to work with Joe to change how homeless people's medical care is dealt with. Elsewhere, a homelessness charity has told the Kent Online podcast that they fear more people will be out on the streets in the new year because of the cost of living crisis. Figures from Maidstone Homeless Care show the number of people in need of food parcels has reached more than 300 a month it's prompted the organization to bring back their you can help campaign in a bid to get more donations to meet the growing demand reporter carl simmons been chatting with tracy maybank who's the assistant manager
6: overall it's just really mainly supporting the homeless people so they can come in they can have a shower you know they can eat they can use the computers the phones um we've got um the laundry yeah and we also have vulnerable people in, so they're they're sort of a few people we've got that just cannot cope being on their own. Because a lot of them, when they do move off the street, they find it difficult because they're kind of social network out on the street. Believe it or not, that you know they do kind of stick together out there. Um, that goes, and they get into their housing, and they're very like isolated. So we give them that little bit of support for a few weeks to set them in um yeah so
7: I was just going to say obviously you've had COVID-19 yeah which the guys were saying obviously was a massive impact with them yeah and now you've got the cost of living <laughs> yeah it's like yeah. one thing after another it I is mean, it's,
6: I mean before we ha we was on a we are on appointment basis so we booked them in so we're around 10 coming in a day but the bonus from that is we can work a bit more solidly with them you know we can give them more one-to-one working um and the idea of that as well is that the council should be picking them up and housing them. Mm. But yeah, that's a bit of a tough one, that, because yeah. there is a lot out there still homeless.
7: And do you think that because of the cost of living, you know, obviously everyone's affected by it, but Absolutely. do you think people might possibly, you know, become homeless because of it? I mean,
6: oh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we've got families at the moment, obviously, we're doing the food parcels. Mm. But we've got families that are like looking at: Do we go without food? Do we put electric on? Do we pay the rent? You know, it's harsh. Mm. So I think that come come New Year, I think that's just going to ricochet. I think that's just going to build.
7: Why do you think it? Obviously, it is going to be difficult this year for people to help other people when they've got. Yeah, I mean, mean, what what does it mean to you for people to just donate even like tins of food or clothes? Massively,
6: that is a mass. Any anything that anyone donates here gets used and um you know it goes a long way so anything that anyone out there can give us tins anything fruit veg would be helpful but like you say people are going to be able to do that oh, is, you know so there's that worry that's that gray area that we don't know yet fortunately we're rolling it's okay but We'll
0: on our website, you can find details on how to support their appeal. George Cohen, one of England's 1966 World Cup-winning footballers, has died. The 83-year-old, who lived in Tunbridge Wells, played every minute of the team's campaign, including the final against West Germany. He spent his entire career at Fulham, making 459 appearances. The Premier League clubs say he was one of their greatest ever players and a gentleman. Kent County Council has been criticised for closing down one of their offices in Ashford to save money. The building on the Henwood Industrial Estate will shut at the end of January. and Staff say they're shocked after being told over Teams on Monday morning. Bosses have blamed enormous pressure on their budget, but employees say they'll now have to pay higher energy bills as they work from home. A businessman who's trying to turn a pub near Canterbury into a Turkish restaurant says he regrets buying it because it's costing so much. Plans to convert the middle of the road in Sturry were approved last month, but no work can be carried out until rotting joists are replaced. The owner reckons the building would have fallen down if he hadn't bought it, but says they're under a lot of financial pressure. And a Kent historian's been giving us her predictions for what will feature in the King's speech tomorrow. It's the first time he'll deliver the special Christmas message since becoming monarch. Nicola's been speaking with Dr Emma Hannah, who's a lecturer in modern British history at the University of Kent. She says he has a lot to live up to.
7: The royal family are at Sandringham traditionally um, every year, and um, I think the decision to take it to television was was certainly a move um, to modernise the royal family and the way it approaches, um, you know, the way it talked, uh, it spoke to um, its subjects. I mean, certainly Prince Philip was a was a real force for modernisation, um, and certainly through the 60s, and I think that's probably one of the elements of the crown that is closer to the truth is this. Um, feeling that they were worried about being seen as out of touch and that they should use the new medium of television because it's so more immediate.
1: I think there's always a lot of speculation as to what the Queen was going to say, um, depending on what had happened throughout the year. But... Would you say she always seemed to strike the right kind of note with her Christmas speech? I mean, are there any that particularly stand out, do you, would you say?
7: I think um, 1997, after the death of Diana, was difficult. Uh, and obviously, she'd had uh, Anna Saribalis as well when Windsor Castle burnt down. I think that was 1992, wasn't it? And two of her children um, got uh, their respective marriages ended. So, Charles and Diana and Anne and um, Captain Phillips. Um, so I think probably those, those were particularly difficult um, for her. I mean, certainly that is the, the purpose of the speech to sort of sum up the main events um, of, that had happened throughout the year. And of, I think she is seen to get, Queen Elizabeth was seen to get increasingly more personal and a bit religious as well, she would introduce more religious aspects into her speeches.
1: And of course, this year, it will be a first Christmas message from the King, and only three three months after his mother passed away. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be quite difficult for him personally, but what are you expecting from King Charles this Christmas?
7: This is the year where he... Isn't going to be allowed to speak on causes as much as he was allowed to under the Prince of Wales, and I think that's already been alluded to um, in the media. So, you know, a lot of the causes close to his heart, like the environment and sustainability and farming, um, and I think he may well try and put, want to put some things of, of, of that kind in the speech. Yeah,
1: I'm wondering if there will be reference to uh, to the Queen at all in his speech. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'd all expect there to be some sort of reference, whether it's um, what he said or or visually we sometimes look at what they place behind them don't they with with pictures and things that are on display
7: Yeah, um, the big Christmas tree is 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 part of the course, uh, of course. And then yes, there's a, there's always a lot of focus on which family members um, get you know the prime spots in the camera. I mean, I think I think the grandchildren will It'd be very. I, I'm not sure the word Netflix will um, feature that much um, either for the Crown and particularly the the recent documentary by Harry and Meghan. It would be quite interesting to see if if there's a picture of them. In, in in pride of place
1: and of course we now have a queen consort whereas uh, the duke of edinburgh didn't play quite as as much of a role in like he certainly didn't appear in in the queen's speech with her would we expect um queen consort camilla to play any kind of role in this festive message do you think
7: i really don't know i really don't know about that um there's always archive footage that they'll use Um, you know, and the the, the monarch's voice is, is used as voiceover over that footage. So I'm sure that he will probably pay tribute to a lot of the work that she does, the little charity work that she does.
1: Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. Will you be watching Emma on Christmas Day?
7: I do. I, I actually do like. To, you No, know, I'm not. I'm not some ardent um, monarchist. You know, it's just uh, uh, you know, part of the the job with uh, looking at, um, you know, British history, 20th century British history and, and culture. You you know, there's there's a lot involved in there with the royal family. But like many people, it's, it's a nice punctuation mark on Christmas Day. You know, three o'clock. You've normally had your lunch um you normally can't move for a bit so you sort of <laughs> um if you know so you're, you're sort of sitting there digesting um and it, it, it's that sort of mid-afternoon christmas day you know all the you know most people have opened their presents they've eaten a lot of food and they're, they're ready for a bit of a sit down and a bit of tv time and certainly that that um the tradition is very important.
0: And you can hear the speech on our sister station, KMFM, at three tomorrow afternoon. Well, that's all from us for today and for this year, but we will be back in 2023. Thank you ever so much for listening, and if you're celebrating, have a super Christmas and New Year's. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. You can also sign up to The Briefing to get a daily update of the top stories each morning. Just head to kentonline.co.uk. Yeah